Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Liz Loza, and joining me today is the wonderful Scott Pianowski. Scott, before we jump into all of the things, how are you doing? I don't get a chance to work with you as often, so I'm excited to be paired with you on this episode. Likewise. uh, Very excited. It's been a while since we've talked some NFL, and I'm going through the Yahoo Car Wash today. I just had lunch. Uh, Andy Behrens is in town. I live in suburban Michigan, and he bopped over. He's at the uh, F whatever, FGA, FSGA, yeah, whatever it is, the gambling fantasy thing uh, in Detroit. So he popped over. We had lunch. And uh, I'm, I'm not too proud to, to show you. He gave me my uh, two, 2019 uh, Best Fantasy Baseball Podcast, which doesn't even exist anymore, but the award is, <laughs> is still here. We had a delicious burger, a lovely conversation. There's even a photo on Twitter to preserve the moment for posterity. Uh, so today we talk NFL, we talk fantasy. We talk, but you're we also working back. some golf stuff. Like, let's let's have a moment about that. Tell everyone. Yeah, uh, doing a roundtable with Jay Busby, uh, the great Jay Busby, our colleague who can write any sport and write it in like 15 minutes. Him and Schwab are amazing like that. And I'm also going to be putting out some DFS recommendations. So U.S. Opens this week, third major of the year. Even if you're a casual golf fan, this is like one of the four weeks of the year that you pay attention. So um, Brookline is hosting the, the country club. That's how old that place is. It's just called the country club. So um, I hope you get a chance to, whether it's, you know, go over to BetMGM, place a couple bucks down, play a Yahoo DFS contest, or just watch the golf because it's, it's great theater. And, um, you know, un- unlike that that leave, you know, met, that, that live mess, whatever it is, um, that uh, glorified member guest that Greg Mormon is running. This is actually an event that people care about that where legacies will be written and made. Is um, Brooks in this competition? Brooks Kepka, yes, I believe yeah. so. Um, fun fact, I know his now wife. Uh, she and I were Sims, actors yep. back in the day. Yeah, Jenna Sims and I were actors back in the day for a while together. And she is um, a fascinating character study in her own beautiful wedding dress. Congratulations to the new couple. But man, she's that's another time where you or I are offline. I will tell you some stories. And I don't know if you can fold that in just to make the golf content a little more salacious. Yeah, they were um, they're recently married. So congratulations to the yep. newlyweds. When Brooks Kepka won, I think it was Aaron Hills. He won the U.S. Open a few years ago. He's obviously one of the best golfers in the world. And I believe Joe Buck was the, the person who was calling the action. And so Jenna Sims comes out and, and hugs Brooks or kisses him or they're riding on the golf cart together. And Joe Buck misidentified Brooks Kepka's girlfriend. Now, now to Joe Buck's 
defense that some, you know, some producer or some spotter or somebody who was in his earpiece gave him the wrong piece of information. But, but thankfully Brad Faxon knew who Jenna Sims was and he quickly, he quickly piped in and said, no, no, that's, that's Jenna Sims. That's, that's Brooks Kevka's girlfriend. It's not that, that previous girl who was mentioned, but uh, it was just a people, a chance for people to pile on Joe Buck. I've actually come around on Joe Buck. I, six or eight years ago, I would have told you I, I couldn't stand Joe Buck. I still remember, how he called the David Tyree catch like he was waiting in line for his license renewal. It was just such a tepid, you know, emotionless call. But I think Joe Buck has, um, I don't know, I've, I've started to really enjoy his work. And actually, I was never really a Troy Aikman fan. I've actually really enjoyed Troy Aikman's work the last couple of years. And I, I think they will be a great addition to Monday Night Football. But anyway, golf, for anybody listening right now, it's a football podcast. You're like, why are you talking about <laughs> golf? Why are you talking about Jenna Sims? I'll say this, Okay. If you don't like golf, if it bores you, if, if it puts you to sleep, you just need to put a couple of dollars on it. Then it will be a lot more interesting to you this week. I guarantee it. Increasing your investment, certainly. Well, uh, check out all of Scott's golf content. Um, Jenna, if you're listening to this, I still got you, girl. And I doubt she is. Uh, a little bit later, though, this week, we're going to – I'm shifting gears here. All of your favorite YF3 podcast hosts will be reliving our various mistakes and failures from last season. It's kind of like therapy, but you get to benefit from it. Today, though, we're going to keep the spotlight aimed on some of the mistakes – some, not all, but some of the mistakes made by ADP, which is y'all, the field. <laughs> so we're going to talk about guys that were getting hyped a year ago and try to figure out if we can learn anything from why that happened heading into this season. Let's talk about some wide receivers, though, because we have a couple that are popping off in the news and that are relevant to fantasy. Terry McLaurin being the first. He wants a contract extension. Who doesn't? Uh, thank you, Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. He's actually refusing to attend a mandatory minicamp for the commanders until he gets this contract extension. Reports seem to indicate the, t the sides are uh, very far off. There is quite a vast space between them right now. It would seem to indicate that perhaps there was a, a trade, maybe not this season, in place. But if the extension doesn't go McLaurin's team's way, perhaps uh, not too far in the distant future. What are uh, some of your thoughts on the McLaurin situation here? Yeah, my, my basic rule of thumb on holdouts, especially at this time of year, is that players play that the game checks are too seductive and, and everybody's window in the NFL is so tiny for relevance anyway. They don't want to give up any of that earning power. So I generally don't take them that seriously. I mean, I, look, I'm all for McLaurin doing whatever he can to get some leverage going. And I'm always happy when a football player gets his money because, again, they, they have such tiny windows to be relevant and they're risking the quality of their life on every snap. I mean, these guys are, are gladiators and warriors. There's been some exceptions to that rule. You know, Le'Veon Bell famously sat out a full year. I remember Vincent Jackson, the, the late Vincent Jackson, sat out maybe, what, eight eight to ten years, uh, eight to ten weeks uh, one one year, but he came back just to get the year of service time so he could be a free agent. I think this will eventually get solved. What I've been trying to figure out, Terry McLaurin is somebody I fell in love with the moment he joined the NFL. And he reminds me, I know he's done some work um, off the field with Doug Baldwin, just um, some technical work, some they worked out together. They talked about route running. And Doug Baldwin was one of, always one of my favorite players, one of the smartest receivers, one of the best technicians. And McLaurin wants to be, like everybody in the NFL is competitive, but I, mean, I really believe Terry McLaurin is just one of the smartest receivers and wants to maximize 
his skill and, and is always looking to get better. And, you know, why not pick the brain of somebody like Doug Baldwin? But I'm trying to figure out, Liz, I'm curious your take on this. Is McLaurin's been stuck with just a, a lot of bad quarterback play and, and it's been a, a revolving door in Washington since he's been there. Now Carson Wentz is there. And you know, Wentz statistically had a solid season last year. I didn't think it looked anywhere near as good with my eyeballs. I'm I'm not a trained scout, but I've somebody watched football for a long time. Is Carson Wentz good enough to get Terry McLaurin to that, you know, top eight, top 10 receiver spot that we think he can be at his best? Or is it just a case of, okay, Wentz is more like a below average quarterback and McLaurin's going to have to fight for everything he can get this year? I mean, wide receiver 10-12, I think, is out of his range of probable to possible outcomes. Last year, Michael Pittman, who, you know, for all intents and purposes, why was the wide receiver one on the Colts while Carson Wentz was there, was the wide receiver 18 overall for fantasy. So I think that McLaurin can certainly fall into the top 20, maybe flirt with wide receiver 15 numbers. But um, I don't think, I also think the competition at the top of the position is just too intense for McLaurin. And there are too many other good wide receivers with better, more accurate quarterbacks. Uh, Michael Pittman, in fact, being one of them. Matt Ryan, in terms of statistical accuracy, last season was the QB8. Um, but Carson Wentz like fell outside of the top 20 for most accuracy metrics per player profiler. So I think that that's going to be the hindrance. But I do think that Terry McLaurin, to borrow a phrase that you've used often, can drag Wentz into production, especially if he has either a Curtis Samuel or a Jahan Dotson working the opposite side of the field um, and maybe pulling less defensive coverage. But I don't think he's going to be able to do enough. I don't think that offense will be... Um, robust enough to put him inside the top 15. Fascinating right now that in national ADP, Michael Pittman right now is the wide receiver 15 and McLaurin is the wide receiver 16. So they're right next to each other. And a lot of people in the, I think Pittman's going to be one of these kind of sharp money hipster picks, which is great if you're in a public league, it might be tough in an industry league where like five of us are elbowing each other out of the way to try to be the Michael Pittman guy because Matt Ryan's seen as an upgrade. It's just kind of fascinating, though, that the two receivers you mentioned just happen to be next to each other, although McLaurin is five or six slots lower on, on overall ADP, but on the wide receiver board, they're going right next to each other. And then right in front of DK Metcalf, wide receiver 17, another guy who wants to get paid, another guy where it's it's really easy to imagine him being on a different team pretty soon. In, in fact, if you were to tell me, if I, if I went on vacation for three months and you said to me, Scott, there was a major receiver traded before the season started. I don't think that's going to happen. But if I had to guess one guy who I could see it happening to, it would actually be Metcalf. I don't think he's happy in Seattle at all. And he's going to be even less happy when he sees the quarterbacks he's playing with this year. Well, why would he be happy? Not just because they've gotten rid of Russell Wilson, but also, I mean, we've heard Richard Sherman talk about the fact that at the beginning of his time in Seattle, like Pete Carroll was great. And there's a reason that after four years – the shtick, I guess, becomes old. It's not as motivating. And of course, I mean, this makes sense because Carol was one of the most elite, say what you will about the scandal at USC, but a college, a college coach. And so I feel like maybe there's, um, he's used to guys coming in and out. And after a while, the rah, rah, rah shtick starts to fall a little bit thin, is more tinny. And I think that, you know, if you consider in the moves. Also, right now I'm reading reports that, like, Geno Smith is the front runner ahead of Drew Locke for the starting quarterback 
position in Seattle. Like, of course, DK Metcalf, who experienced that coaster last season, isn't thrilled with either of these options. But how bad is Drew Locke got to be if he's the number two right now? Yeah, I hear you. Actually, I will admit, I think Geno Smith played better last year than I expected, but maybe it's because my expectations were absolute zero. And for when it comes to pro coaching, and I think this is true in all the four major sports, especially in, in a sport like the NFL, where so much of the game is effort and having your finger on the emotional pulse of a team, you'll occasionally have an Andy Reid, you'll occasionally have a Bill Belichick, you'll occasionally have a John Harbaugh, where they can be a right answer for a long period of time. But I don't think coaches are meant to have long shelf lives in, in one place. I mean, I, I've been a Boston Bruins fan my whole life. They just fired, and you know, I'll talk about as many sports, not football on this podcast as <laughs> I can. They just fired Bruce Cassidy, who made the playoffs all six seasons. Uh, in his best season, he went to the Stanley Cup Finals where the Bruins lost game seven at home to the St. Louis Blues. They probably should have won the Cup that year, but St. Louis took it for them, um, you know, much to the delight of like all of our rural world friends who are from the St. Louis area. They're still coasting off that championship. But you know, eventually they said, look, I, I think Cassidy's message had gotten stale in the locker room, even though he was successful. I mean, the guy went to the playoffs six straight seasons. And I just wonder at what point do, and, and granted football rosters do turn over very quickly with the personnel, but at what point do they just need somebody saying something different than Pete Carroll? Not that he's not a good coach, but I just don't think most guys, you know, for for every Greg Popovich who's a long-term solution, I think there's like 10 NBA coaches who are meant to be a two- or three-year solution. I think that's very true in the NFL as well. It's just how many times you see a coach of the year. Matt Nagy was coach of the year just a couple of years ago. You know, it's I mean, so Mike common Tomlin, for— Mike Tomlin would like a word. Tomlin's another right? great example. I would— I would endorse Mike Tomlin for anything. If he wanted to run for political office, I'd vote for Mike Tomlin. I would I would carry the sign around. I and and again, you know, the, the guys who are usually the long-term solutions are the player uh, one of two things. With Belichick, you have to admire just how tenured he is. He's a wizard, he's the smartest guy in the room. But with a lot of these other guys, it's because they understand the emotional makeup of the modern player so well. I think Tomlin better than anybody in the NFL. I think Harbaugh's very good at that too. Uh, yeah, Carol, he's, he's been a great coach. I, I just think at some point it's just not meant to be a 15 year or 10 year position by and large. So I, I think Seattle's going to have a major house cleaning ahead of itself really soon. I think Dallas might be having a house cleaning if McCarthy doesn't get his act together. And that's the other team I wanted to talk about because obviously behind CD lamb, there are some injury concerns in terms of pass catchers. Um, Michael Gallup being chief among them, but Jalen Tolbert, right? The rookie that they drafted is a rookie. So there are other question marks there. And Dalton Schultz was holding out for uh, wanting to get paid. And all of this has led to conversations, reports, speculation that Tony Pollard, who we know is an excellent catcher, receiver out of the backfield, might get more time in the slot playing wide receiver. So are you buying into that? And I also want to say that, you know, for so long, we've thought of Pollard as a backup um, to Zeke Elliott, someone that could work as insurance to Zeke Elliott. But I think we've done him a disservice in fantasy circles by not recognizing that he is a phenomenal third down option on his own as a talent. I thought Pollard was just better than Zeke last year on an efficiency yeah, basis. Yeah, and Austin said the same thing. Yeah, I'm at a point now where I'm so nervous to draft these running backs on their second contract when they get around that age 27, age 28 season. And, and Elliott's had so much work that I was – I think Pollard's going to be somebody that a lot of people are going to want to draft. So, again, it's not like you're getting him at some cushy price. But I can easily see myself being proactive on Pollard, whether it's – 
Dallas uses Pollard more as a runner. They use him more as a receiver. Elliott ends up falling into an injury. Never wished that on anybody, but you know, you have to be mindful of the mileage. I, I think Dallas would, you know, the thing with Dallas is, and you talked about maybe McCarthy being on the hot seat. The problem they're always going to have is that Jerry Jones probably has too much sway. I mean, he, he still is basically the, the be all end all the buck stops with him and Dallas. And what they need is somebody to either talk Jerry Jones out of a bad idea or to actually put Jerry Jones in a position where he's not the decision maker in Dallas. That's what this franchise is screaming for. I don't know if Jones has the the ego, if, if he can ever let that ego aside, if he can just do what's best for his team, because this is a sleeping giant. It's, a, it's an unbelievable market. It's a really attractive place to draw free agents to. It's probably the strongest brand in the NFL, one of the strongest brands in sports. And I just think the NFL is better. I've never been a Cowboys fan, but there's just certain teams, Notre Dame, Duke basketball, uh, the, the Cowboys, the Yankees. Sports are just better when those teams are good. Again, I, I, I'm from Boston. I hate the Yankees, but I can't say that baseball isn't better when the Yankees are great. You know, you need a rival. You need a team for everybody else to dislike and everybody else to kind of play off. So I think it'd be fun if Dallas was really good, but I, Mike McCarthy's not the right guy here. I'm going to be proactive on Pollard. I'm also going to be proactive on CeeDee Lamb. And it's, unfortunately, that might mean a second round pick. I'd yeah, love to get him to. in the third round. He's percolating into the second round right now. Maybe that's a little bit too expectant where you're expecting, you know, you're asking him to take a major step up in class. We know Amari Cooper vacated a bunch of targets. You know, Gallup is a different type of receiver. I can still see Lamb's best season as being like a 13, 14 touchdown season. I think he has that in him, but it makes me nervous to want to pay for a level of production he hasn't shown yet. Bottom line is the Cowboys are always fascinating. I think Zeke's a dangerous guy to draft. I think Dak Prescott is a wonderful value. And whether Pollard gets his value from the passing game, I think there could be some juice to that. But I think he might just get more of the workload than he did last year in the running game because he's so efficient. And maybe it's at some point in the second half of the year, whether it's because he's playing better or because um, Zeke got hurt. I get I get it. Zeke's got the contract. And they're always going to consider that when they make their personnel choices. But I want Tony Pollard this year. Let me just end it with that. I, I'm going to have a portfolio okay. that How has some Tony soon, Pollard in it. First of all, I take umbrage with one thing you said about the Yankees because I did watch the Cubs give up 14 runs to the Yankees a couple of days ago, and that one hurt. Especially it was 18 Nancy. runs. Oh, only no, four, only fourteen to the they, original, but pitchers. they put up four at least. It was four four to eighteen was the was okay. the final score in that game. Um, maybe. My favorite my favorite baseball stat from last week is that the Yankees hit eighteen home runs last week and the Tigers hit zero. It, oh god! All right. Um, it was uh, my my son actually who's been playing little league was like, "Mommy, you want to turn this off?" And I was like, "Thank you, dear." Uh, but what, right what, now, what, let's talk about your son. What position does he play? Third uh, hot corner, third base. Oh, great position. I love the fourth in the batting order. He's a, he's a baller then. If he's batting cleanup and playing third base, he's one of the, he's one of the stars of the team. That's great. I'm uh, I'm all in. How old is he? Eight. Uh, Righty, lefty. How does he, what way does he hit? Righty. Okay. Good for him. He's powerful. He's not too fast though. Is there a role? Is there an MLB player that he uh, models himself after? No, he hates the he hates the Dodgers actually, even though we live in LA because his first little league team was Tampa Bay, so he's a giant Tampa Bay Rays. He hates the Dodgers. Well, he, he hates, hates Mookie Betts. He hates Freddie Freeman. He likes Mookie Betts, but like he hates he doesn't like the Dodgers because they beat the Tampa Bay Rays when he was on the Rays, which was his first year of substantial little league. It's a good thing he likes Mookie Betts because I, I would just you know I would I would just ask off this podcast now. I'd slam down the the earbuds. Well, let's talk about 
about Tony Pollard, not Paxton. <laughs> so Tony Pollard. I'm more interested in Paxton, by the way. I, you know, I, I'm going to pick him up in my, my fantasy baseball league, my keeper league. Oh, I can wait. I wave. can wait 12 years. He does a really good wave. His walk-up music is the intro music to The Peacemaker, um, which was all my husband's doing. So Tony Pollard. Are you re- right now his ADP middle of the eighth round in 12 team exercises? In. I'm in. I love how it. How far would you reach for him? Would you take him in the sixth? That was my question. I no, no, I, that's no. too crazy. You, you got to give okay. yourself a chance to make a little bit of value. I'd consider him in the seventh and be thrilled if I got him in the eighth. All right. Speaking of ADP, let's move to the next. <laughs> Jesus, this is going to be our producer. John is definitely uh, got some work ahead of him here. Um, <laughs> But let's talk about some of the biggest flops from 2021, not because they necessarily at least this first group of players underperformed, but because they got injured. J.K. Dobbins, everyone's talking about him. I looked up some ADP information. Last year's ADP was around 28. Third round, ADP right now is in the fourth round. Which would you, I think that he'll probably creep back up to last year's ADP. You know, don't forget he got injured in August. So that was pretty, people were drafting him actively by the time he got injured. So do you think he creeps into the third round over the next six weeks or so? It won't be on my watch. Uh, it would have to be the fourth rounder later for me to take Tobbins. I, I don't know what to take from running backs who got hurt last year before they season started like if somebody was fading Dobbins and then Dobbins got hurt and then you see the victory lap it's like well wait, wait a minute was your fade predicated on him you know bl- his body breaking down before the season started is that if you you came up with that if, you know good for you but if you just thought he was going to be ineffective and man what a weird year Baltimore had last year you know right. Hollywood Brown was, was great then he wasn't Mark Andrews scored all the touchdowns Lamar Jackson missed a bunch of games uh, didn't run as effectively at the goal line as he usually does. And, and they didn't even make the playoffs. I actually think they're a great bet to go back. They, I think they're, they're the most unlucky injury team, actually, as far as games lost or manpower lost for injuries, which is just a fluke stat. It, it usually normalizes the, the next year. So it sounds like maybe I should be talking myself into Dobbins. One thing we always want to focus on whenever it's anybody coming off an injury is when did they get hurt? And the advantage of Dobbins is he got hurt in the summer. So he's yeah. going to have a full calendar year by the time he gets back on the field. Now, but the also the other rule of thumb is we saw this with Dalvin Cook is a lot of times you want to be on board with these guys the second year back. That's when they really are, are 100% throttle and they can let it loose. But uh, to me, a price right now for Dobbins, that makes sense. Uh, second round, no way. Third round, probably not. Although you're going to be picking somebody in the third round you're uncomfortable with. I've even seen some mock drafts where I look at a second round and like nine of the 12 picks, I'm like, wow, I wouldn't want to make that pick. But it's it gets ugly really early this year. I don't think I have the stomach for Dobbins until the fourth round. I think it's an interesting exercise to look at these players because I think it's um, instructive of what the running back market is looking like or what the field is doing. And, you know, you would sometimes you want to zag while everybody else is zigging. So it is interesting to me that there is enough talent. I I think Matt and Dalton did an excellent job talking about this on a strategy podcast when they talked about zero RB and anchor RB and how the talent, there's a lot of like older, quote, older talent, but 
hasn't aged out and a lot of younger, unproven talent. And so there are more and more question marks, which I think based on the mocks that I've been doing, and I, I'm interested to hear what you have to say, just so many more managers focusing on wide receiver or even being open to partial zero RB strategy. I, I, like that leads me to want to talk about Cam Akers, right? At the end of what was that 2020, everybody was all in on him. He had such an incredible run uh, over the last stretch of the season. And then obviously he tears his Achilles in July while he's just at, working out, just training, tears his Achilles and then manages after just like six months, six months later, which is unheard of for that injury, comes back, but is woefully inefficient managing 1.6 yards per touch when he did come back. So now there are question marks about, all right, well, how much you mentioned, right? You want to get that running back who's in the second year back or that player, frankly, who's in the second year back from a catastrophic injury. So is uh, a year and change enough? Is a year in, what is that, August, a year and three months, 15 months, close enough to make you want to uh, invest in Acres and believe that he can return to the to what we saw him do in 2020? You know, I, I want to, I look at Acres and everything you say and the what you outlined sounds reasonable to me. And I want to talk myself into it. And then I see that I can get David Montgomery or Antonio Gibson, maybe just a little bit cheaper, maybe a half round later, a round later. And I I get cold feet. Mm, uh, look, Akers is on. interesting, Scott. Akers is tied to a good offense. They want him to be the lead back. They have other talent. They're always going to have other talented runners. And we know, look, what, what 29 teams out of the league are probably going to use multiple backs. So it's no knock on anybody to say they're going to have to share workloads because it's just this is the way of the league right now. But I, I guess the thing with Acres is he's more reactive pick to me than proactive pick. It's more okay. I've gotten into a draft. The price has really come into a nice pocket with Acres. I can okay. I can live with that. Where there's some guys when I say proactive pick, these are guys who I walk into the draft room thinking I know what they're probably going to cost and I want them. Maybe I'm even willing to elbow somebody out of the way a little bit. I talked about. And I know this is a little bit apples and oranges. I talked about maybe jumping the ADP on Pollard by a round because he's a proactive pick for me. I can't see myself drafting Acres re, uh, proactively, but I would be willing to take him reactively if I thought the price maybe came down a little bit to what the market is right now. So he's sandwiched, I'm seeing, an ADP between Zeke Elliott and Saquon Barkley. Neither of those I think you would call um, – I. I you would call proactive picks. Though, Barkley, yeah? Barkley might as well not even be on my board. Okay. So if we're going down a little bit more, I'm interested then. How about Josh Jacobs? Man, the, the fantasy hating Josh Jacobs, right? The guy who, who, who jokes on Twitter, that he's not yeah. playing and you have to bench it's, it's him. It's because and... he like, he's, he tilted people on Instagram. I, I think that that's definitely not a Josh it. Jacobs fan as a, as a, you know, as a dude, he's a, he's a great player. Um, was a great player at Alabama and, you know, um, so it sounds like you're not taking a running back in the third round. No, is what, it, yeah. um, what I would like to do is, is go what I call anchors away. I'd like to get a running back. I like in the first or second round and then pile on receivers. And my goal in most drafts is to have a dynamic receiver room. If, if it's not the best receiver room in the league on paper, I want to be among the top three. And I hope one running back I can hang my hat on. I feel really good about, and then I'll, you know, every three or four rounds, I'll take another running back and I'll be doing what everybody tries to do. And I, I, I get it. We're all trying to get lucky. 
with our speculative running back picks. Sure. We're all going to play the waiver wire aggressively. We're all going to have a bunch of lottery tickets on the bench. This is not a strategy. This is a mandate. This is the way everybody in your fantasy league plays. Even the bad managers are going to do that. But I like the anchors away strategy where if I can just get that one guy, I can hang my hat on. The problem is there aren't that many of those guys. Jonathan Taylor is great. You have to have the one pick, maybe the two pick in your league. You'll never see Taylor. I have cold feet on McCaffrey. Of course, I'm never going to say anything negative about Austin Eckler, uh, who I would take <laughs> proactively. Dalvin Cook I'm in on. Mixon I'm in on. I don't know what to do with Javante Williams because I'm just afraid that yeah, they might play Gordon more than I want them to. I, I waited all last season for Williams to shove Gordon out of the way and – and they never he did, did the that. week that uh, Gordon hurt his hip. But if Gordon's on the field, also, I mean, I think I maybe we talked about this when we had Melvin Gordon on Eckler's Edge. Obviously, he and Austin have history, right? Sure. Um, similar situation for Gordon too, because Austin took his job in San Diego, Los Angeles, whatever. Uh, but Gordon said that he had spent the summer training with Frank Gore in Florida and was stone cold serious about how that is how he wants. That's what he wants for his career. He wants, well, he wants that to Frank Gore 2.0, huh? Playing to his thirties. I mean, it's, and you don't hear a lot of running, but a lot of running backs. Are like I know what the market is. I understand. I'm trying to like get a deal now, make my money now because, but Melvin Gordon definitely took to heart that he wants to do that. And I think he only missed one week last season um and it was the hip injury it came back and sure, sure enough you saw the the um workload get split but hold on i'm with you on i'm with you in that i think that gordon will continue to eat out of uh javante williams volume but you mentioned you know the anchor rb anchors away strategy and i agree with you joe mixon is someone i might take aaron jones is another one that i wouldn't mind using as my anchor. aaron jones is a f- screaming value right now his adps are on 21 if if i knew that I could get Aaron Jones in the second round. And you, of course that's unknowable, right? But I would love to say, great. Give me, give me Jefferson. Give me Chase. Give me even Devonta Adams. Stephon like Diggs. That. Give, give me Stephon yeah. Diggs at the end of the first. And then I'll give the me an alpha around. receiver and I'll come back with Aaron Jones. And then yeah. I'll, and then I'll go back to that receiver room, maybe get a Pittman or somebody, you know, maybe get um, T, Higgins, get T. Higgins, somebody yep. like that. Yeah. That is oh, I would of, love I a build. Would, I would love build. I love builds that have Aaron Jones in the second round. The problem is you can't be sure you're going to get Aaron Jones, but so then he's let's the say running you back in the second round I like. Let's say you get Mixon or you get Aaron Jones as your anchor, and then maybe you build with a Diggs and a Pittman or a T. Higgins or something like that. Now, right here's a player that I am like very interested on that I also think is a screaming value. It's Miles Sanders. You can get him in the sixth round. So now that. I mean, again, you're hedging that you can make it happen that no one else has the same strategy, especially after listening to this pod and won't reach for him. But if I can get Miles Sanders, who I think is a fine RB2 and who had that knee injury in week six and just frankly was never right after that, I think that there's an opportunity there. And I do think that, you know, A.J. Brown added to this offense, it's still going to be a run first proposition with Jalen Hurts as the quarterback. There's we saw at the beginning of last year, right, that Nick Sirianni was like trying to get Jalen Hurts to be a passer and it just isn't the thing he does best. And so there might be more of those opportunities folded in with AJ Brown, but it's still going to be a run first identity. And I also think that the stacked box rate that Miles Sanders is going to see, although he didn't see, I think he only saw a stacked box upwards of 8% of the time last year, which is in like the RB30 kind of category. But I think that that number is going to decrease even more. And he might just see, you know, a standard base front or even a light front more frequently, which should help his efficiency numbers. 
I'm in on everything you said for Sanders. I think you built a very strong case. And I'll add, I'll give you the cherry on top of the Sunday. He had no touchdowns last year. And that is just uh. screaming for correction. It doesn't, yeah. he touched the ball so much. And, and I, look, I get it. Hertz runs a lot and he bogarted a lot of the rushing touchdowns. That stuff is going to correct. I mean, even if Hertz can still have a handful of touchdowns, Sanders by accident might score seven or eight times this year. And if, if he got a break, maybe he could score 10 times. I, touchdown counts can be extremely volatile year over year, more for the receivers than the running backs because the running backs can score those cheaper touchdowns easier. A, a goal line carry is, is more likely to be a touchdown for a running back than anybody else. But the fact that Miles Sanders didn't score a touchdown last year, that's a feature for me, not a bug, because people are we're at a point now where Sanders has been hurt enough and he's been frustrating enough to people that this probably half your league has probably been or you know, a third of your league has been burned by Sanders. They don't even want to draft the guy now. They're not even he's not you know, like I said, I didn't want to draft Barkley. He's off basically off my board unless the price gets ridiculous and it won't. A lot of people are like, I'm done with that Sanders guy. He doesn't score any touchdowns. He's always hurt. I think he's an unbelievable value, and he'll be your second running back on a lot of teams. He might be your third running back on some teams, and I'm all for it. I, I think you outlined a great case for why he's one of the tremendous. That's why we draft early, too, because this maybe could correct itself between now and August. If you're best ball drafting right now, I want a lot of Miles Sanders on your team. All right, somebody who's in that similar uh, range of players how are you feeling about CEH? I know Michael Salfino last year, who you do the breakfast table pod with, was really high on him. And he just didn't see the workload that a lot of people were anticipating. Williams, who's now, I think, actually a really great value in like the 15th round, if you can get him now that he's in Arizona. If you're talking about like backup zero RB strategy, I think that he's an, a nice sleeper value. But he, while he was in Kansas City, took a lot of the volume that was supposed to, quote-unquote, go CEH's way. And now Ronald Jones, who's another guy that people are like, I'm just out on. He's burnt me too many times. I saw him fumble on the goal line too many times in Tampa Bay. Not for me. Uh, but we know also that Andy Reid's pretty forgiving when it comes to fumbles. Kareem Hunt, obviously, in his rookie season in his first touch, but also CEH fumbled a couple of times last season and didn't seem to be punished for it the way that maybe Ronald Jones was in Tampa Bay. Yeah, I think they're just wondering if maybe CEH is just, maybe he's just MEH. Maybe he's just a good player. <laughs> I love but it. was mis miscast as a first-round pick. And, you know, he played on a, a college offense that was so dynamic at the receiver position that, that maybe, and, and granted, I mean, we know the Chiefs have all sorts of talent. They don't have Tyreek Hill anymore, but, you know, um, CEH's career in the NFL has been built on everybody's worried about Kelsey, everybody's worried about Hill. When he was still with Kansas City, the offense is differently shaped now. But I just can't get past that he's just, I, I think CEH is just slightly above replacement level, maybe an average back. Andy Reid doesn't have any predisposition to give him a heavy workload he struggled with decision making and and being decisive uh well ceh has at the goal line which i think is the reason why he hasn't scored a lot of touchdowns he's he's again reactive pick for me i'm not saying i won't pick him but reactive pick for me and i actually think ronald jones is the fun pick here he's got a skill set i think will play well in kansas city and i don't think they want anybody to be a featured back there and we've seen secondary back i mean there was even Jarek McKinnon had moments. You had the time to market. You had to probably wait till the playoffs when McKinnon went crazy. It's like, oh, where was this when I needed you in week nine? I picked you up or whatever it was. But uh, isn't it fun to the Kansas City just to see a sea change, right? There's no Tyree kill. And the whole time that Mahomes has been there, he's had the benefit of everybody gets off the bus petrified that we can't let Tyree kill score five 80-yard touchdowns against us. 
I, I think MVS is a good player. I do. I think Juju's a good player, but these guys are not, obviously, Tyreek Hill. So we're going to see Kansas City and Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes are really going to have to sing for their supper this year. I think the Chargers are screaming value to win that division, albeit all four teams are good. The Raiders just went to the playoffs. The Broncos have obviously brought in Russell Wilson. You know, last year, the NFC West was kind of the hot division. I think this year, the AFC West, they could put all those games standalone, and I'd be all for it. But I'm curious to see what they do with the Kansas City offense. I will not be drafting a lot of CEH. I am open to Ronald Jones. He'll be one of my cheapest lottery tickets and a great best ball pick because then you don't have to time the market. Whenever Ronald Jones has that 85-yard, two-touchdown game, it automatically counts for your team. But I love the idea of Jones because of the value presented and the upside presented, especially in accordance with the anchors away strategy. I don't think CEH has done enough previously to be worthy of top 25 positional draft capital, but I am curious in Kansas city, this new lookish, which of these receivers, because I'm seeing Juju Smith Schuster, uh, his ADP is getting steamed up to quote my friend, big Travi of the fantasy whispers. He is getting steamed up. MVS remains a pretty decent value. Now, as a Bears fan, I watch a lot of MVS and I watched him drop a lot of passes, but I can understand that perhaps again with Andy Reid, who seems to be more forgiving and Patrick Mahomes, who seems to be more forgiving than Aaron Rodgers, maybe uh, there's an opportunity. And this is a little bit like on the couch-ish. He can get out of his head and I'm just not sold even when I think about the value. I mean, even when I think about the volume rather that Juju Smith-Schuster presents, I still think about how he's like not a wide receiver one and we've seen that. And so maybe the better option is MVS, even if he doesn't present the consistent week to week production that you might want. I'm going to take one of the cheapest cop outs a fantasy football analyst can take is that MVS is the best ball play. And Juju is the weekly play because Juju is going to have a projectable volume. His target share is going to be pretty stable. And MVS is going to have weeks where he gets three looks and he's going to have, he's going to be you know, Josh Hermsmeyer in week five is going to say, say MVS fits the buy low model for air yards. And then MVS is going to have a, a, a five for 155 and two game. And it's going to, and somebody's going to win the Millie maker, going to win a, a big Yahoo DFS baller contest because they had MVS at low ownership, but it's going to be really hard to trust that week in week out. Ideally, in a seasonal roster, MVS would be, you know, your speculative wide receiver three, wide receiver four, something like that. But it's going to be really hard to hang your hat on him week in, week out. They do different things. Again, Juju, they're going to ask to work the middle of the field, a lot of slot snaps, where MVS, he's one of those players that's going to have value even when he's not drawing the ball. You just to, to draw the safety, to tilt coverage. Again, he's not Tyreek Hill because nobody's Tyreek Hill, but he's going to run, run a lot of nine routes. And some weeks, Mahomes just won't pull the trigger on them or the play will be designed for something else. But there's going to be four or five blow-up games for MVS. I really believe that. I just don't know when they're going to come. So if you do roster him in a seasonal, you're going to want to have high consistency guys, high target share guys, guys who are less volatile, guys who are really projectable week in, week out, because you want to, that's how you mix that. That's how you, the cocktail gets mixed with a more variable player like MVS. That said, I do think the Chiefs really have a role in mind for MVS. And I, I think the player who's being overdrafted here is Sky Moore. I think Sky Moore eventually is going to be a fun gadget player for them and a fun deep threat for them. I'm not going to expect it. I actually think the whole receiver rookie class has been a little bit overdrafted so far. And I get it. I mean, 
Justin Jefferson broke football two years ago. Jamar Chase was unbelievable. One of my worst calls of the year. I'll talk about him next week, but I don't think there's going to be a Jefferson or Chase this year. Not, not a knock on the class. It's just those guys are rarities. And the fact that they happened one year after another from the same offense, no less at LSU, I think it's maybe setting some people up to fail and overdrafting some players this season. MVS right now going in the 12th round of drafts. It's great. It's great value. Proactive. Juju Smith-Schuster, though, he is going, just to provide context so our listeners understand, the eighth round. So real quick before we move on to some of the other ADP guys, I'm interested, since you mentioned best ball versus redraft, in redraft, Juju Smith-Schuster or Gabriel Davis, they are being drafted basically back-to-back. Well, I'm, I'm surprised because uh, Gabe, I thought Gabe Davis would be more buzzy after that four-touchdown game at Kansas City. So the wide receiver I see, 36 and Juju yeah, is the wide receiver 37 right now. I see more touchdown equity with Davis, and not just because he had that big game, but um, I, I think maybe the tree might be a little bit narrower in Buffalo. And I also believe, I know coach speak, you have to take so much of it with a grain of salt, and a lot of it you just throw it in the trash. But I really think Buffalo is going to, try to get in Josh Allen's ear and say, Hey man, you're a great athlete, but we can't have you taking all these kill shots. You know, maybe in the playoffs you can run like your life depends on it, but don't do that in the regular season. I think the ratio of throwing to rushing touchdowns for Allen is going to change this year. It's going to be more of the throwing and, and less of the running to the point that I'm, I'm actually, I think Devin Singletary is another guy. If you're going backfield on a budget, I think Singletary is a great oh, value. Sexy too. Unsexy. Love it. Yeah, I mean, he's been there for a long time. They drafted a rookie running back. You know, people are like, oh, how good could Singletary really be? Well, I mean, they, they drafted a running back because they didn't trust the guys behind Singletary. I think it's really comment on Singletary. So I, I like the Singletary value. I, I think that's the value. The thing with Davis is a lot of people in your league are going to be high on Davis too. I believe in the MFL of death, he might have gone in the fourth or fifth round. That, that's how much the analysts like him. But in a league with your your buddies at work or you know your college friends, I think you might get a great value on Gabe Davis. I think he's uh, somebody I can definitely sign off on and somebody I would take before Juju. Let's talk about Robbie Anderson. I want to stay with wide receiver, though, because obviously right now we've got um, Baker Mayfield and the Carolina Panthers in the news. There are some reports, who knows if it's gossip, speculation, saying that the Panthers are urgent to acquire Baker Mayfield because of the Deshaun Watson situation in Cleveland. Um, Although it's curious because they weren't, you know, they did draft Matt Corral, and so there seems to be quite a few, I don't know, complaints, issues with, I, I would imagine how much of the, uh, how much of Baker's salary Carolina is willing to absorb in or, order to make a deal. Um, and obviously <laughs> Cleveland's probably like, take it all. Um, but they have their own problems. So with that, and I, and I'm thinking about all of that because, and I am guilty of this, so I will own it. I'll probably have to own it again next week, but heading into last season, I definitely pounded the table for Robbie Anderson because of the chemistry that he showed with Sam Darnold and because we saw him evolve as a pass catcher. He wasn't just this, you know, deep threat throughout all of 2020. He definitely you saw the routes become crisper. You saw him being used in other ways. I thought the next step of the evolution was coming in 2021 and he got paid right before the 2021 season. I think he had a deal worth uh, upwards of 20.5 million guaranteed. So I was like, all right, he got paid. He got his quarterback. He's evolved. This should lead to more production. It obviously didn't seven drops. I think he uh, was, he, he got, he got recorded seven drops. Um, and 
looked like he just, yeah, didn't want to be there, right? Like, there's lots of fun Twitter videos of everyone being like, poor Robbie Anderson. He's, like, rolling his eyes and shaking his head, and you feel for the guy. But he also said that he was maybe going to retire. He's not going to do that. How are you treating him this year? Can you believe that there is going to be some sort of rebound that maybe he'll work through any of the disappointment that he had last season or that, or are you waiting to see if Baker comes to Carolina before bothering with the situation? First of all, everything you mentioned that you got wrong with Robbie Anderson, I, not only did I get it wrong too, I, I feel like I probably pounded the table even harder. I college coach, former quarterback. And it's not even that some people would say, well, so what? He had chemistry with Sam Darnold. I, I thought it was an advantage that they already knew each other. They'd run reps together. You know, it's not like they have to go and meet each other. Oh, hi, I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Robbie. Oh, what, what routes do you like to run? You know, what throws do you like to make? They already knew all that stuff. And his college coach was there. I, I just seemed like a perfect setup. And Anderson had a horrible year. The, th- the other thing with Baker is that, you know, Baker played hurt all last season. I realized the shoulder was his non-throwing shoulder, but he was never healthy to the point that I really thought Cleveland made a mistake. I, th- I think at some point Cleveland should have said, you know what? A healthy case Keenum is better than a really hurt 100%. Baker Mayfield. I don't think, I think that they did Baker no favors. And look, the player's always going to say they want to play. Give me a shot. You know, I can do it. I'm the leader of the team. What quarterback's going to say, you know what? I nah, put the other guy in. Nobody, they're just not wired that way. These guys, you know, they're superheroes their whole life. They're used to, you know, thriving in adversity and, and playing in adverse situations. You know, Matthew Stafford getting his shoulder separated in Detroit and coming back in the game and throwing the game winning touchdown pass for a Lions team that probably won five games that year. You know, that's what all these guys do. They're all, they're all John Wayne. So I think Baker Mayfield's a great buy low. I, I don't know what the price is going to be. Cleveland's in such a weird situation right now because nobody knows if Watson's going to be eligible to play this year, I, I think Cleveland really screwed up just giving a huge amount of money and a huge amount of trade capital for somebody not knowing when he can play again and not knowing what the the PR hit is. And, and what, what did you do? Did you just stain your franchise's reputation to make this deal with this guy? I, I get it in the NFL. You don't have a quarterback. You're not I mean, relevant. your reputation is only stained as long as you're not winning, right? Like, the reputation will become unstained if Deshaun Watson and there's the if is on the field and leads them to a postseason. I guess so. It's man, the story. I'm every not time saying I, it's not gross, but every time I, I read, I feel like that's know, the way it's viewed. Three paragraphs. From the I read. I read three paragraphs of the Deshaun Watson story. I feel like I need to take a shower. But Cleveland's in a weird position. I think Baker Mayfield is a is never going to be that you know number one overall franchise quarterback. But can he be a league average or slightly above league average yeah. quarterback? I sure. I think so. You know, can, can he be maybe Kirk Cousins? Can he be Matt Ryan? You know, like not the MVP Matt Ryan, but like who Matt Ryan generally has been. I think Baker Mayfield has that in his range of outcomes. I think Seattle should be kicking tires. I think Carolina should be kicking tires, even if they do like Corral long term. And I'd like to see Baker Mayfield get another chance. I still think he's got a lot of good football ahead of him. And if he Baker Mayfield did land in Cal- Carolina, this is what I, I'm sure I would do. And a lot of people would probably follow suit. I would make sure I had DJ Moore shares on my team because I love that guy. And he got shipwrecked by the 2021 Panthers. He got shipwrecked by Darnold. He got shipwrecked by a coaching staff that didn't use him right. I'm just afraid with Robbie Anderson. I mean, the, the talk about retiring, I don't think he's going to retire, but I just wonder how much passion is there. Maybe, maybe he just, you know, he, he's not all he's not all in on football anymore. You know, maybe, maybe he just realizes I got another year or two and then I'll go do something else. I it's going to take a lot of nudging and coercing for me to draft Robbie Anderson this year. And if I'm wrong on that, I'll live with it. Well, you're not 
alone because he's currently going undrafted. I mean, he's outside of the top 70 wide receivers. If he is being drafted, it's in a super deep league in the 18th round. So nobody's touching him. But I feel like this situation, if we're trying to make it instructive and comparing it to last year, is interesting because nobody wanted to touch the Detroit Lions, I think largely because, you know, Amon Ra, St. Brown was down there. Uh, there were a, a lot of the outside of TJ Hawkinson, like wide receivers that are in, were in that like wide receiver 70 range because nobody knew which guy was going to be the guy. And so nobody wanted to speculate, especially on a team that had traditionally not historically been pretty bad. And you know, a hey, lot for of one week, out for on one week, I felt right about Quintez Cephas for one week. <laughs> but, and, and so I think we're looking at this situation. Similarly last year for the, for the lions, it was TJ Hawkinson. He was going to see all the volume this year. I think DJ Moore is probably, it's not apples to apples because obviously they play different positions, but in terms of volume, he seems to be the only pass catcher that you can count on in Carolina. And he did eclipse a thousand yards even despite everything last year for his third consecutive season. So outside of him, though, there are one of these guys is going to do something. I think it will likely be Robbie Anderson because unless he is completely out, as you're saying on the sport, but because of his, because what we've seen before, because of his evolution, because he has, uh, I don't know, because he has really great routes because he's a technician, like he has the talent. And so, I think there is a possibility that Robbie Anderson becomes like a week 10 to 17 hero. It's just going to take a lot of other things at the top falling in a way to make that happen. And you don't want to draft him because you don't want to stash a guy that might not show up until double digit weeks. And to be fair, I mean, it's a pretty thin wide receiver depth chart. They don't have a tight end of note. Yes, Moore will catch his 90 balls and, and hopefully McCaffrey can stay healthy and you know he'll catch... 80 to 100 balls, although I am actually nervous to draft McCaffrey this year. But there's going to be opportunity for somebody. Again, Robbie Anderson, the Robbie Anderson I saw on the Jets and the Robbie Anderson I saw on the Panthers two years ago was a really fun player. And I would love him to get back to that. It just goes to my cheese theory that once the cheese goes bad on a player, it's just hard to bet on the cheese going good again. Like once the cheese went bad on AJ Green, I was just out on AJ Green. And if Arizona can somehow ever revive him, I'm going to lose. Somebody else is going to have him. Well, and I'm, there were I'm not moments at the top of last year where he did have fantasy value. What, do you have two weeks of relevance? I mean, I, I'm taking a win on A.J. Green. Yeah. I don't think it's anything to be proud of necessarily. But yeah. um, anyway, I, I just worry that maybe the cheese has gone bad on Robbie Anderson. Or may, maybe I just have too much cheese in my fridge. That could be it too. <laughs> Well, cheese is delicious. I don't know how anyone can't. You can't have too much cheese. I mean, that's, that's – um, a delicious. So okay, uh, I'm looking at other deliciousness here. Where should we end this? Let's do one more player. I mentioned T.J. Hawkinson. Mm-hmm. I think something we didn't account for last season. I think you and I were both on the same page about this because I was very high on Hawkinson because of the volume, and yet we didn't account for the fact that defenses can adjust and will adjust, and they did adjust faster than the offense in. I mean, once they had to clear out Anthony Lynn, right? But faster than the offense in Detroit could manage. Um, And then you found Amon Ra come later. But TJ Hawkinson was just so easy to take away that even if he was getting this volume, it didn't matter because he wasn't putting up any production. Is there a player like that that's this summer you feel like similarly we could learn that lesson from or we could see that 
um, copy and pasted to a different squad this fall? First of all, I think that's a great observation. If, if you're a tight end, normally we like the only show in town players because you just they have guaranteed um, workload, they have guaranteed target share, they have guaranteed goal line opportunity. But generally speaking, if a team gets off the bus and wants to take out a tight end, they can. And Jared Goff is you know, he's a mid level quarterback. You know he's he's never going to be a star. There's no shame in in being just a league average player. That's just what he is. So I, players who could fall into that, I, I'm, I'm looking at the tight end position because it, it just sounds most of these guys are insulated by offenses where there's other pieces. You know, Dallas Goddard is, you know, A.J. Brown's there. You know, they they have Devonta Smith there. And Dalton Schultz is obviously CeeDee Lamb insulates him. They have a backfield that's going to get a lot of work. Darren Waller, the, the Raiders just added Devontae Adams. Hunter Renfro got paid, a, a terrific slot receiver. As great as George Kittle is. Look at all the other people. Debo Samuel's coming off a monster year. I think Ayuk's a really good value right now. I think the takeaway for me is I think Kyle Pitts, I think a lot of people are going to give Kyle Pitts a mulligan and say, okay, look, he only had one touchdown. I talked about Miles Sanders being unlucky with touchdowns. I would say the same thing about Kyle Pitts. I think a lot of people are going to say, you know what? I was all in on Pitts last year. I wasn't wrong. I'm going back in. I'm Right now he's the th- number three tight end in ADP. I think a lot of people are going to go back in for Kyle Pitts and they're going to be disappointed. Not that he's going to be a flop. I mean, last year, mostly because of survivor bias playing the full season, he ended up with what tight end seven ranking or something like that. But I suspect per your rules on Hawkinson, I think Pitts is going to be mildly overdrafted and a disappointment, not a season ending or, Oh my God, I screwed up disappointment, but I would advise you not to draft Kyle Pitts proactively this year. And I think somebody in your league is probably angling to do so. For me, the player that is not, I love the phrase you used, insulated uh, by the rest of the offense is Cole Komet, who is always a buzzy sleeper pick every summer. This year, though, he doesn't have Jimmy Graham stealing the touchdown. You know, Komet would be the one who, like, did all the dirty work over the middle, and then they'd get to the goal, they'd get to the red area, and it would be Jimmy Graham for his one target, one reception, one touchdown that ended up getting it. But I don't think Darnell Mooney is a wide receiver one. I am bracing for an absolutely ugly season from the Bears. And I think that the difference, obviously, between Hawkinson last year and Komet this year is that Komet's not going until the 10th or the 11th round. He's like the 16th tight end being drafted. So if you throw a dart and you miss at that position, then who cares? But if his ADP, because as the summer continues, there's going to be all of these sleeper articles about Komet, if that starts to steam up a little bit, then I would just be mindful of the fact that, you know, there's a possibility that he's not going to be as efficient as you were hoping. But again, Hawkinson was like a fourth round pick, I think, last year. So pretty, pretty vast in terms of the uh, capital needed to invest between the two. Let me tap your knowledge base here. So you say some cold water on Komet. Who is the tight end outside of the top 12? So you, somebody who you would take as a second tight end or maybe even a, a waiver wire pickup early in the season. Who Who is the cheap tight end who you're like, yeah, I can see this person popping this year? I'm all over Albert O. I think, oh, I think I love I've been it. all over him forever. Um, when Matt and I did the pod a couple of weeks ago, I mean, there are questions about which of those wide receivers is going to turn into the alpha, right? I'm thinking right now it's going to be Cortland Sutton, and that's how I've ranked them. Jerry, Judy, I'm just getting bad vibes from, whether it's Me the too. DUI or the groin tweak. It just it feels bad vibey. Tim Patrick is always an incredible value. Draft Tim Patrick. He will be a great, yes. again, I'm being cheap here. He'll be a great best ball value. You'll get eight touchdowns. I don't know when they're coming. We'll probably yep. talk about them on the waiver wire pickup 
a pod with Baron. You and Andy like, will exhaust times. the name Tim Patrick. 100%. Tim Patrick, we'll, we'll, we'll name the thing after Tim Patrick, but please draft Tim Patrick this year. And I agree with you, by the way. Maybe the the one of the biggest fantasy questions into the offseason is what who does Russell Wilson meld with? Who's his guy? And I agree that it's probably Sutton, but why not? Why can't it be Albert O? Why can't Albert O have uh, 698 yards and seven touchdowns? I think that's possible, or 750 and six, or something like that. I, I he only has like one career drop, uh, and he was excellent in college in terms of efficiency and has excellent hands. That was one of the things that scouts noted the most about him coming out of college. So I like him a lot. I also think Robert Tanyan has some interesting bounce back potential. I think people kind of forgot about him. And again, you always say this, and I credit you Aaron Rodgers is a circle of trust guy. Not many sure. people in that circle. Bobby T does have some of that trust. Yeah, goal line equity too. I like that. And another thing I love about Albert O, I love how he's universally known as Albert O. It just makes me think of the yeah, yeah, yeahs with, with Karen O is, is the front woman and, and at the head of that band. So nobody nobody is trying to pronounce <laughs> Albert O's last name. And oh. I think we like, I like it that way. He's Albert O. He is Albert O. And oh, that is going to do it for this edition of the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Liz Loza underscore. If I follow Scott, be sure to do that because he is obviously, as you've heard, a font of all kinds of knowledge at Scott underscore Pianowski. And while you're there, make sure you're following the mothership at Yahoo Fantasy. Matt and Dalton will be back on Thursday to talk about the mistakes they made in fantasy last season. I am anticipating lots of 49ers talk. Until then, we're out.